Welcome to the Set and Setting Podcast with Madison Margolin. As a journalist, Madison has spent years exploring the intersection of psychedelics, cannabis, and culture. This podcast brings together thought leaders from today's psychedelic renaissance to talk about the role of psychedelics in our inner and outer lives. You can support this podcast and find additional resources at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Madison. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Madison. So um, we have with us Lauren Taus. She's the founder of Embodied Life Therapy and co-founder of the Psychedelic Coalition for Health. Lauren is a psychotherapist with a specialty in psychedelic-assisted therapies. She integrates alternative modalities of treatment into her work and focuses on embodied techniques to support integrative health in mind, body, heart, and spirit. Lauren has decades of experience as a yoga teacher and trainer that translate into therapies that support connection and kind relationship within the body. She studied with David Emerson under the supervision of Bessel van der Kolk uh, at the Trauma Institute in Boston in trauma-sensitive yoga, and she's trained by the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, or MAPS, for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for complex PTSD. Lauren trained with Dr. Phil Wolfson in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. She supports psychedelic-assisted therapy research with the intention to bring these types of interventions back into the Western mainstream model. Lauren believes that the individual and collective healing, believes that individual and collective healing are intimately intertwined. She's an activist and an advocate for a safer, more integrated world. Lauren is passionate about engaging with individuals and groups to create systemic healing and homecoming to the goodness that exists in all beings. Her work has been featured in Forbes magazine, USA Today, New York magazine, Women's Health, Men's Health, Double Blind, Yoga Journal, Chakruna, and more. Wow. So Lauren, you're definitely one of my heroes in the psychedelic space. And I know I've interviewed you before, but it's really an honor to have you on this brand new podcast. So thank you again so much for being here. Mm, and the feeling is so mutual. <laughs> it's, it's so good to, to weave together. Definitely. And it's, you know, you're reading your bio, it just seems like so much of your background is relevant to all the things that I wanted to talk to you about today and what this podcast is really all about. So, you know, for starters, what I think is really interesting is that you have both a background um, as a practitioner in psychology and psychedelics, and you also have a background in yoga. So, you know, what does your own kind of spiritual practice look like? You know, how do you combine the East and West, kind of these different modalities for your own practice? I'd like to take a few steps back and just talk a little bit about my personal journey and, and mm-hmm. how I got here. Sure. It really starts with my own suffering and my own desire to understand and my own desire to connect, which of course was born in a sense of disconnection and separation. A lot of you know protective mechanisms that went in, in a crazy direction. And as a kid, I, w- I was always quite spiritually minded, but also unsure. And, and I wasn't getting answers that made sense to my little kid self in religion, or at least in the ways in which religion was transmitted to me. It didn't, it felt sterile. It felt cold. It didn't feel awe inspiring. It didn't, it didn't work for me. And so when my older brother was scared of ET and the boogeyman, I was wondering what happens after you die and waking up in the middle of the night with like ego fear. And that put me on a path to studying religious studies, world studies. And 
and seeking, seeking answers from all of the traditions. As a Jewish woman, I deeply resonate and connect with the teachings from my lineage at this time, and with great reverence for all of the all of the traditions. My, you know, my Jewish understanding of one God is I don't care what you call him, her, it. We're all we're all one. And of course, that's also very psychedelic in unity, consciousness, et cetera. Um, as well, in, in high school and in my early college years, I struggled with an eating disorder, which for me was essentially an issue of safety and not feeling safe in my body, not feeling safe in the world. And, and that wasn't by any kind of external circumstance. I, I was you know, well provided for. I went to good schools. I had so much privilege, but I didn't feel anchored in my being. I didn't feel safe to fully express myself. I, I didn't know even what I was feeling a lot. And so the eating disorder really served me to numb me and keep me out of feelings, period. Um, my personal recovery journey towards embodiment involved a lot of yoga. Uh, and the word yoga means to yoke. It's to bring together. It's a connection practice. So we're already talking about integration. And, you know, my early recovery from anorexia was, was a commingling of therapy and yoga. And uh, that's still so much of what I, I do and do both personally and in the work that, that I offer to clients. Um, you know, I, I like to say that emotion, energy and motion, it's in the body. You can't think a feeling. You can't think a feeling. It's, it's um, something that needs to be felt in and through the body. And moving really supported me in accessing what was alive in me. So my psychedelic journey too didn't begin until a bit later because, you know, I was busy being good, right? And, and quote, unquote, good. And drugs were bad, quote, unquote. So I, 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 did, I, I was, you know, getting straight A's and trying to achieve in the ways in which I thought I was supposed to. And ultimately, I actually went to my first psychedelic ceremony with my brother who started the path before me. And, and it, there were many no's. Like I said, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And then I, I chickened out because I was scared. You know, I didn't want to lose control. I had all kinds of scary notions in my mind about what might happen. And eventually when I said yes, it was actually right after a trip from I returned from Israel. And, and I had a very biblical, spiritual uh, familial journey. And, and it was so powerful. I knew I would keep going and growing through psychedelic work. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you, do you want to, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You, you want sure. to, I, I, I just to, to bring us up to speed, you know, it was, it was several years there in kind of exploring uh, on my own before I became present to the ways in which I might be able to weave all of the things. So, you know, I became a yoga teacher when I was 18 years old. Um, at 28, I went to graduate school. I'm almost 40, which is crazy. But uh, at 28, I went to graduate school. And then I, I really started uh, weaving psychedelics into my personal life um, in my early 30s. And, and then uh, about a little over three years ago, I did the MAPS training. And, and then pretty quickly after that, did a ketamine training. And, and doing these trainings helped me understand the ways in which all of the things I had done before made sense. Right. So it, it's a combination of embodied practice, uh, relational engagement with someone who can support and guide and anchor me and, you know, set, setting like good, healthy 
um, consciousness explorations to open me to what I'm part of, to what needs to die in me in order for me to live more. And, you know, as a clinician that, that is in private practice, that is, has the honor, the, the great honor to support other human beings in their experience, you know, I, this is kind of what I, I know that like I'm, I'm only ever as good as I am. I can't take someone somewhere I haven't been willing to go. So, you know, my clients motivate me to, to keep growing and, and to keep leaning into whatever my edges are so that I can walk the path with them, whatever that looks like. Wow. Well, thank you. And I just, you know, as you were talking about, well, especially your eating disorder, I was almost tearing up. Um because I also dealt with a pretty bad eating disorder um, when I was in high school. And, you know, I, for those in the audience who don't know that much about me or my background, but I grew up in the Ram Dass community and I grew up with Be Here Now as like the family Bible. And, you know, it was just kind of this go-to thing my parents would say. And I think as a rebellion to that, I would not be here now, right? I was really escapist. I was a jogger, a jogger. Um, and I was kind of dissociative and like dissociating from my body and dissociating from my feelings um, to the point where even now, 10 years later, I, I still struggle to feel my feelings in my body. Um, and so I'm asking, you know, I'm part of what really helped me out of the worst of an eating disorder was yoga. And I'm lucky enough that like with all the Michigas that I was raised with, the good and the bad, a lot of the good was what were the teachings of Ramdas and we're having uh, yoga teachers for parents. So, you know, I'm curious for you when you talked about combining therapy and combining yoga, like was it how did how did that really what is the practice of that look like when you're trying to really w- w- have an intention toward feeling your feelings or working through a particular thing? Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your background too, Madison. It's it's always so heart opening, you know, to be vulnerable and so disarming to hear someone else's story. So I so appreciate that. And there's still difficulty in fully understanding how the two weave, because of course, as a clinician, my job is to listen. And my job as a clinician is also to invite my clients into listening to their being. And I begin pretty much all of my sessions with a little bit of closed eye breath work. Uh, I invite clients to bring hands to their bodies. If that feels nourishing hand to heart, you know, hand to the back of the neck or the shoulders, if there's tension and stress there, I, I invite my clients to be in a space of listening to their bodies. Like let's like pause and remember you have a body right? Like I believe that our culture actually teaches us to divorce from our own somatic wisdom. Our bodies are full of information. I believe that we have intuition, which is in my mind, divine direction, right? And and it it doesn't speak in the same way that ego does. It doesn't come with horns. It doesn't come with an army. It's a quieter voice, but can you slow down long enough to actually hear that's the winning side. Like the word surrender, everyone says surrender, surrender, surrender. What does that mean? Like to me, it's like to lay down arms, enjoy the, join the winning side inside. Right. And there's often moments with clients in session where, where I'm reading their body language, collapse shoulders, 
not making eye contact, you know, and, and we'll talk about that and feel into that. And also when an emotion presents, sometimes a client wants to go quickly and jump over it and I will invite a pause. Can we be with that? Can we breathe into that? Can we open to that? Even this morning I was in meditating and I had anxiety and I was like, okay, Lauren, like, let's sit with the sensation of anxiety. <laughs> and can you, what's here? Can, can, can I be with it? Like be here now, be here now with it, with what is. And if we can do that, like it will change. Like everything is in constant flux, right? When we try, when we start moving into patterns of suppression and repression, then there, there's a natural dissoci- dissociation, right? So normal, by the way, like it's, it's sort of impossible to be here now all the time. Um, but if we can get to a space where there's more presence and there's more moments of aliveness, that, that, that's good. And that's the goal in my mind. And is, would you say being here now is being here in your body? Yeah. 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 One of my teachers really helped me to understand that spirituality isn't about ascension. Like we will die and leave these bodies. Spirituality in this plane is also about dissension, like being in your thighs. Like, can you be in your belly? Can you be in your, in your heart? Can you be in your toes? Like, can you be in, in like the wild sensation of this human experience in, in its, in its incredible variety in your body? And so that brings me to, you know, the role of psychedelics here is for so many people, psychedelics really kindle more of like a somatic awareness. So how are people able to use psychedelics to more be in their bodies and by virtue of doing that, maybe, be, you know, being more present in general? Mm-hmm. I always like to define the word psychedelic, which of course, you know, it's a combination of two words, psyche and delune. Psyche is, is mind and and spirit. Delune is about expansion, revealing. So, so the experience of being a human being is psychedelic by nature. We are constantly bombarded with new information and we don't really need to ingest anything to be having a trip. I I, I really like to kind of name that. And I'm also a psychonaut and I like to explore with plants and compounds, my own consciousness and the ways in which my consciousness stances with consciousness. And I like to, and I'm honored to uh, in, in a kosher way, be able to support others in the same practice. So predominantly, and, and you know, mostly I, I work with ketamine and ketamine is a dissociative, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it takes you out of your body. And what I have seen generally is that the departure allows for a deeper return and that the kind that moment of really leaving in, in in not a different dissociation than one does in in the 3D plane allows for more joy and embodied experience and more gratitude for the for the body that allows the experience. And there's other medicines, of course, that have deeper somatic actual aspects to, to, to them, MDMA, for example. And, um, I mean, in my personal experience, MDMA has really helped me to, to be in my body in a good way and to love her. Like I've, I've really transmuted my relationship with my body and, and it's not, I'm not graduated. You know, I have my edgy moments where I'm 
nasty or whatever, judgy. And, you know, and, and I watch them, I see them. I'm not enmeshed with them. I'm not fused with them anymore. And, and the ways in which my inner dialogue has shifted is extraordinary. But, but MDMA, for example, like is a very embodied experience. It's very heart centered and, you know, the, the armoring falls away. And, and some of the judgment can fall away, or at least you can see it differently. The, the, the psychedelic opens the, the aperture of perspective and all of a sudden a softness can arrive uh, and, and the meanness can be looked at and touched with compassion and with deeper levels of understanding. And, I mean, for me as well with, um, what, with my eating disorder and my history of a war with my body, uh, ayahuasca has been incredibly powerful. Uh, my, my, I had an experience with ayahuasca where, you know, she literally told me like, you have to retire your extra, extra small life. And I, and I, I was struggling to purge at that point. Cause I, I had so much resistance to that idea, like to be extra, extra, extra small was safe. You know, the, the anorexic part of me wanted to be bones, like wanted, and, and in a way thought bones were too big, right? Like to, to be, to take up space. was very scary to, to, to be here now was, uh, I didn't know how to do that. And, and I certainly, and again, I didn't feel safe doing that. So developing like my own internal resourcing such that I could be on my own team. I think I was like the last person to join my team. I had a big team and, and I was like outside the stadium smoking a cigarette. You know, I was like, I wasn't playing a game. And, you know, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to put on, I'm going to put on my jersey, my face paint. And I'm like, I'm going to go like play the game. And I like the language play and game. Like I have an uncle that used to say, if you're not enjoying your life, you're missing the point of the exercise. And, you know, that's not a bypassy thing in my mind. Life is full of pain and pleasure. And if we can open to the pain, we can experience the pleasure too. Wow. So, you know, one thing I'm curious about is in regard to experiencing the pain, especially with ayahuasca and MDMA also for me, I've been the most um, somatic medicines. What, you know, what, what is the purpose of going through the pain, right? So they say in, you know, psychedelic journeys, the only way out is through. And, you know, I was listening to Ramdas this morning, one of the various podcasts, and he said, he was saying that um, pain is interesting you know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm suffering. Gee, isn't that interesting? Oh, I'm getting what I want. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And, you know, associate with the thing that's observing the pain or that's conscious of the pain mm-hmm. means you aren't the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess what I'm trying to really understand and work with, and I'm, you know, I'm asking you as a journalist, but also as someone who experiences all the things that we're talking about here is, you know, how can these medicines show us what hurts the most in a way to then just release them? And again, maybe this has to do with holding on to trauma in the body. Maybe the pain that is in the body is why it's so uncomfortable to be here in a body sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, you know, what does that kind of look like and mean to you? Mm. And I know we've also talked this is not my first time interviewing Laura and everybody, but um, we've talked a lot about um, trauma in the past. And so I, I think that's an interesting point um, when we're talking also about psychedelic healing, especially mm-hmm. in the discourse today when people are becoming more and more open to talking about something that's been so stigmatized for so long. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for asking this question. When we work with psychedelic medicines, when we work with these drugs, um, we're immediately opening doors to intergenerational, transpersonal, and collective content, which we're already working with. We just don't have as much awareness to. And we all have pain and trauma. We all have sadness. We all have a sacred rage. And we live in a culture where, where we're educated essentially to, to not feel to not express unless it's like nice. I hate nice. I, I mean, I don't like the word hate, but it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to be nice. I want to be kind. I want to be kind. I want to be honest. I don't want to be nice. And of course, you know, as children, so many of us are shut down. Our bodies are shamed. And, and so we start to develop ways of managing and shutting, you know, kind of closing ourselves off and cutting parts of ourselves off. And those parts are still there and they're asking for attention and they're heartbroken and they're petrified and they're in pain. And, you know, when we're operating with, with such limited parts of our, of our consciousness, we don't even know that that's happening. We don't even know that it's happening, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know that I'm very interested in psychedelic family work and have been blessed to be able to do quite a, a bit of it in my own family and to be in, in lots of conversations with other people or about it and around it with their families and where there's many families who have a great deal of fear and judgment around psychedelics. And this, the psychedelic is a threat to their entire worldview. And the psychedelic will, will confront what's alive in you. And, and there's pain, there's pain for all of us. So, you know, even as I mentioned, sitting with my anxiety this morning, I wasn't comfortable, you know, I want to get up and like, go make a coffee or, you know, get, get onto my emails and start working. I haven't, I, I can get addicted to my work. And, you know, I'm like, let yourself be with the sensation in your body, right? Because psychedelic medicine in my mind, and I believe in psychedelic use and, and engagement for celebration and, and a good set and setting in the right containers. Like, you know, I'm for that. I'm for psychedelics for the betterment of well people for creativity. I, I'm for that. And I believe that like my engagement with psychedelics and the ways in which I want my clients to engage with these kinds of experiences is such that their lived life experience in the here now and the be here now is good in psychedelic, right? Like my psychedelic engagement work has opened me to deeper levels of creativity in and visualization and imagination. Like I, I can see so much more clearly now. And, and I also know, okay, you know, you're going to sit, you're sitting with ayahuasca and like, you don't, you don't, you don't stand a chance. If you try and fight with her, like game over, you're going to lose every time, every time she will win. So, so it's, it's a, okay. Like I have to surrender to this experience. I have to surrender to this experience. And then I'm sitting in meditation, like no medicine, you know, I've just been breathing and, and here I am. And I know I have to surrender to this experience. Like I have to, and it's in my body. And can I just breathe with it? Can I just let it be there? And knowing that if I can do that, it will, it will, it will complete. Right. There's such a, um, 
you mentioned that you're, you're a jogger, you're a runner. Um, I, I can't run a mile to save my life. I'm mean, probably to save my life, but <laughs> you know, I, I think speed is one of my earliest defense mechanisms. Like I was a runner too, not with, not with Nikes, but I, I, I was a runner. And can I slow down long enough to experience whatever is here? And especially the stuff that scares me, especially the stuff that pains me, especially the stuff that breaks my heart. And I never want my heart not to break. Can I sit with it? Can I sit with those sensations? And, you know, again, when people have trauma, that's really hard, if not impossible, right? There's so much dysregulation. So the the psychedelics can support in releasing the the patterned armor, uh, the patterned way of um, getting overwhelmed, of getting numb, and allow a person and invite a person into what is and reconstruct there and reimagine there and rebuild there. And then hopefully with support, with therapy, with these, you know, other kind of um, integration tools have the ability to, to sit with it. Like I did this morning. So what do you think, you know, I think part, or I guess part of the um, practice of being here now isn't to just be here now through feelings that suck, you know, the, the idea, you know, at least for me is if you're, if you are able to be here, you know, first, first there's the experience of not being in your body and dissociating. And then sometimes when I, whether I'm under the influence of a psychedelic or I just happen to drop in and I'm like, oh, that's, that's uncomfortable. Like, I don't even want to be here. Um, you know, I, I feel like my test, chest is tight and like, am I dying? Do I have COVID? <laughs> what, what is, what's going on? Or is this just anxiety? And now I have to feel that. Um, and so, you know, at least, uh, this is something I wrote a couple years ago, actually, when Ram Dass passed away, um, was that like, it's not enough to just be here now for me, but like being here, that should kind of motivate us to make the here and the now a place where we actually want to be. So that's kind of information for us. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, um, which you you started to mention already was, you know, when we're talking about trauma and we're talking about intergenerational trauma and early childhood experiences, um, what does it look like when you integrate um, psychedelic healing into family work? So, you know, you mentioned you know, you're doing psychedelics with your brother or, you know, kind of maybe in your clientele, like how does, how does that all kind of come together? It's an area that I'm really looking to explore more deeply. And it's something I'm deeply, deeply, deeply passionate about. I would say that every single person that comes and sits on my couch as a client of mine in therapy is working with mommy, daddy stuff. And I know I'm working with mommy, daddy stuff. And I've had, you know, the privilege and and blessing to be able to engage in uh, psychedelic healing work with my family, with my brother and with my father and to witness transmutation, to witness new conversation, deeper levels of truth telling, which then of course creates more intimacy and connection and love and healing. And, and then, you know, of course, working that space, like I also am more present to and aware of the ways in which my father is informed by his mommy, daddy stuff. Right. And, and we're all family, whether we're talking about our, our own blood tribe or the wider human family. And there's so much, so much need 
for, for healing in family units and in, in our systems. I think, gosh, how many ceremonies I've, I've been in where, where people's parents don't know where they are, right? Because they can't have that conversation with them. And I mean, when I, when I sit with my clients, like so many of them, I, I would love to be able to support, you know, doing, having an experience together with, with their siblings and their, um, their parents and, and their children and, and, and so forth. And they, they would want that. Uh, and I know that from them and they pray for that. Oh, I wish my dad would go. I wish my son would go. I wish my daughter, I wish my, you know, sister-in-law, whatever, like, you know, people, when they have positive experiences and with the right set and setting, I'd say that experiences, even if difficult, like can be good, want for their loved ones to have experiences and want to go deeper and, and more intimately into relationship with, with their family members. Would you say that um, if you ever have an opportunity to meet a client's parents, does that help you or kind of help <laughs> like paint a paint more of a picture for you for sure and i've had the opportunity to do so many times mm-hmm. um you know the there's there are certain family constellations that i'm more involved with and um <laughs> and you just get so many more pieces of the puzzle that way <laughs> like you know there's always everyone's got their own story and everyone and they, there's all these different every 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 individual ecosystem is incredibly complicated and nuanced and you know there's then all these different pieces moving around and that's what's happening all, all over right and and if you can bring more cohesion into a family system you know the impact is extraordinary you know one person's like the ripples in their pond as they heal and whole it's incredible one person that reminds me actually um you know and I I read this the other day where like children are always connected to their mothers in some way. I don't, I don't know kind of the science or biology behind that. And maybe you can expand on it if you know. Um, my dad also always says, if it's not one thing, it's the mother. Um, <laughs> way to maybe avoid some responsibility there. But I remember when my mom at the very beginning of the pandemic took mushrooms um, for the first time. And she's, she's had a lot of experience with acid, um, you know, back when she was in college. But it had been decades since she'd tripped and I ended up trip sitting her over Zoom because um, we were, everyone was in quarantine and she had been planning to do this for months, you know, weeks or months before quarantine was a thing. And so then the circumstances were such that either she was going to put off this experience or she was going to just go for it. And I was really proud of her and she went for it and she was alone in her apartment and I was on Skype or Zoom or whatever and at a certain point, she said, she's like, she was crying in a good way. And she was like, everything's going to be okay. Like, we're going to be okay. And that was the first time I think I've ever heard my mother say that. Wow. Uh, she's like a very neurotic Jewish mom. You know, woe is me. There's always something to be worried about. She's like, has she's completely prepared for the end of the world. I mean, she's not prepared, but she she has enough worry to like really motivator you know in that way and so and that's and that's a mentality that's just with me is this constant nervous system like sympathetic nervous system mode of like it's not okay there's always something to worry about and so for my mother who's I'm not blaming her for that mentality but for my mother who's kind of the primary 
relationship in my life to say it's going to be okay, that had such an interesting impact on my own nervous system. Um, especially again, going into the, I think this was March of 2020. So it was a very interesting moment, especially to have that kind of spiritual conviction. Um, what did you feel? You said the word interesting. What was it like for you, Madison, to hear your mom say, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, it was like partially surprising, but also it was almost like getting her blessing for, for the future, you know, like, you know how sometimes you just want someone's blessing before you kind of go into something. And yeah, like it just calmed me down on like a very visceral level in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And again, because my relationship with her is so tied into nervousness and anxiety and fighting and yelling and screaming. And like we have a very classic Jewish mother daughter relationship and it's a loud one. And it's I've had friends overhear conversations and ask why we were fighting. And I said, we're not fighting. We're just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it, it's very loving, but also uncomfortable mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, it, it's cool because I, for a while I was like, had this confidence, but you know, it, it ebbs and flows, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then life happens. And I think that's where integration or why integration is so important too. It's like, you can have a moment of realization on mushrooms that everything is going to be okay. But then what do you do with that? How Mm -hmm. do you continue to hold on to that belief? Mm -hmm. Like, are there embodied practices, for instance, that would allow us to harness the realizations that we come to both either intellectual or somatic that we that we come to under the influence of a psychedelic. I, I just want to say that I love that experience you had with your mom and it's, it sounds so healing and so beautiful and what a gift that you, you know, were able to, to sit with her in that way. And it takes a lot for, for both of you to do that. Um, and, and just uh, call a kavod, like good job, good work, <laughs> uh, good work. It's a vulnerable. And, yeah. Yeah. Deeply. For both of us. Deeply. Yeah. Having, having done quite a bit of psychedelic work with my father um, and being able to really confront him, you know, my, my dad, like, like has so much Jewish fear and distrust in the world. And um, this, his work with psychedelics have opened him into a place of really, really like kind of on a visceral somatic level, understanding what that does to him and how he behaves as a result of that and, and how out of alignment it is with his true wishes for who he, who he is and wants to be. And and he's really working to open more and, and to choose trust versus being in a closed system, right? To choose trust. Because if you, if you can trust, if, if you can trust yourself, then you can trust other people. Because if you get into a situation where the trust is broken, you're just, okay, like I got me. I don't need, I don't need you to like be perfect or whatever. Like I can take care of myself if there's a breakdown. And also like, how do I stay in relationship and how do I be expansive and inclusive and, you know, watching my father open and include and start to step into trust and spirituality is something that's been such a gift for me and, and has been healing for me. 
deeply healing for me because that's my dad, right? Like you mentioned your mom, primary relationship. These are the architects of our system and the building is mine. So I'm responsible for it. And I can like redesign and re-architect and bulldoze things and, you know, rebuild. But these are the primary architects. And, you know, you asked, how do I hold on to this belief that everything's going to be okay, you know, for your mom and like the integration piece, which is a lot of just the, the name of the game when we're talking about certainly in a clinical context, like it's, it's not for, um, an amuse, it's not an amusement park ride. This isn't just a, you know, Disneyland experience. It's, um, it's, it's for a, a good and more durable shift that allows ultimately for deeper levels of aliveness. And, you know, in my experience, you know, some of the key tools for integration are, nature to remember that like I'm part of it I am it to set my frequency there you know my tendency is to grab my phone right away to go into some sort of like digital wonderland of, of like fuckery and like crazy uh work and comparison <laughs> judgment la 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 like go out and connect with a tree I I, I have a lot of trees in, in my window outside my windows and I just watch the leaves dance in the wind and golden light patches come in and I have great joy in that. So nature is a big tool for me. Moving my body, right? Embodied life. Like that's the name of my brand for my therapy. I have to move my body every day. And whether that's a walk, a yoga class, you know, a more dynamic workout, moving my body gets me into deeper levels of access into what I'm feeling. And you know, there's many people who don't have the, 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 as you know, they might be not able-bodied, right? And there's other ways, but if you do have the ability to move your body, like your body's made to be moved. And, and for me, like I, I can sometimes in movement recognize, oh, I'm sad and feel into it and breathe into it and then release into it with tears or what have you. Uh, realize, Ooh, I'm angry. Like, you know, or I'm passionate. Like the movement gets me into a field of feels and then meditation. Can I slow down and sit down and be here now with what is, can I let be what is and music oftentimes music that I've listened to in different journeys can be really, really, really juicy for integration to remind me, I can hear it. I can feel it. I can like live it. Um, Prayer. My three favorite prayers are thank you, help, and oh my God. I also love, you know, I've I've got some classic kind of Jewish Hebrew prayers that I love. And I love Hebrew as, as, uh, you know, it's, it's to me, it's like, ancient roots. It's, it's like an archeological kind of dig. It's, it's ancient codes. And there's something that comes alive in me when these Hebrew words come out of my mouth and I don't speak the language, but I feel connected to, to it. Um, I also love the, the fourth step prayer in, uh, 12 steps. Um, which is the fourth. Can you, what is that one? Yeah. Um, I offer myself to be, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I may help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Put me into service, God. Get me out of my desire and attachments. Like, 
can I be like, put me into service and in a service that's big enough to include myself, right? It feels good to, to pray for that. I pray for everyone. I pray for the people that, that have hurt me. I pray for the people that I struggle with. I pray for those people who, who are teaching me because of those things. Um, I love the serenity prayer. Mm. I love prayer. I just talk to God. I just, I, I guess we just dialogue, we just chat. And, and then gratitude is a big one for me. And everyone knows the benefits of gratitude have been studied and researched. And, and I really, really anchored in my gratitude practice uh, as a, you know, probably 1920, it's almost 20, over 20 years ago. And, and I did it as a depressed person that like, uh, did not see good in the world. I didn't, I saw like shit and this is painful and I hate it and I want to leave. And this is, uh. what does the gratitude practice look like? For me, it's literally like I, I, today I am grateful for. And, you know, even yesterday I I was on actually a different podcast and I was talking about some content that I'm still learning and and I I feel it's like kind of hairy content and I didn't like nail it the way that I wanted to. And I kind of woke up with a a vulnerability hangover and and I was like, you know what? I'm grateful that I'm willing to go there. I'm grateful that I'm willing to like make a mess and, and that I don't need to be perfect. Right. And I'm grateful for the people that inspire me like you and that I'm grateful for intimate conversations. Just like, and and essentially my practice of gratitude, I I believe it rewired my brain and taught me to look for the good and also to see the good in what might be quote unquote bad. Like, what am I learning here? What's the curriculum that's being kind of downloaded and offered to me? And that's hard, but you know, I'm a student in this classroom of life and I'm open to all the lessons, all of them. I'm, and I, and there's so much to learn and unlearn. Mm-hmm. One thing you said um, in, in sort of the integration was uh, you said acts of service, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of uh, Maharaji Neem Karoli Baba would say, just feed everybody, love everyone, feed everyone. And like, what is feeding, right? Like it's, you know, to me, it's first of all, everybody, everybody, yourself is included. So you have to feed yourself and then you also have to feed everyone else. But it's also what I like is it's a physical act. It's, Mm -hmm. it's doing something that really takes you out of yourself, puts you in your, puts you in your body to like physically do the thing that you're, that is service. And then extending your body, extending your act of service towards something else or someone else. Um, you know, and I guess that really like, you know, especially when I'm in a, you know, in a mental place of just not feeling entirely positive when you can both remove yourself. And when I say self, I mean like your ego and your like all the mishigas in your head and just like use your body for something that is greater than yourself, you know, I think is really step one or, you know, if it's the only step in some, on some days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And spirituality begins with something bigger than you, like anything bigger than you. And also my spirituality is like, I am part of this thing that is God, like, and that you are, and we are, and it is, and you know, the, the giving is so important and I love giving. I love giving. I, I give to organizations that I believe in. I've got these monthly auto debits. I tithe in my practice. I give 5% of every dollar away. And on top of the beautiful California state taxes, um, <laughs> I love treating people to dinner and presents and like, 
you know, I, I love it. I love giving. I think in many ways for me, um, learning to receive has been more vulnerable and, um, you know, we all have our different kind of stuff, but to, to, to let yourself, um, be both in the inhale, exhale, the receive and the give the back and forth. Totally. And I think also, you know, like whenever I, um, you know, whenever I see somebody on the street or, you know, when I think of giving to someone, I'm not going to go broke giving away $5 or $10. You know, there's, there's a story about a man. I don't know where the story comes from, but, um, about a man who was down to his very last dollar. Um, and I think the idea was he, he just gave it all away because what's the point of holding on to something, um, when, like, what are you even holding on to, right? Like what you're holding on to like the neurosis of just like that little thing more than you are holding on to the dollar. So just like, let it go. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I live in Venice beach and there's, uh, so much wealth here and so much homelessness and so much untreated psychosis and so much pain. And, and that stark contrast is, is so uncomfortable. And, you know, there's, it's hard to navigate. Um, you know, I, I effort to be in the space of giving money and food when I, when I can, um, and I'm sure I can more, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm definitely someone that does that. And gosh, we, we have, you know, the numbness, like a lot like that we all on some level, I think in this culture are guilty of like allows us to just walk by someone like asleep and dirty and on the street. Like I am that. And, and how do we give more in order to create a world in which um, people are healthier? Well, that's kind of the relationship between collective and individual wellness is, you know, like we can dissociate from our own feelings and then we can walk along the boardwalk and dissociate from the empathy that a normal, a healthy, well person would feel seeing somebody living on the street. And I'm not saying that the people who, you know, don't break down crying at the sight of a homeless person are not well or whatever, but I think society in general, the fact that if we're well adjusted to a society that is sick enough to have however many people living on the street, then there isn't a healthy society. Yeah. On some level there's unhealth all around. Um, You know, and when we were talking about the family, um, aspect of psychedelics and you had earlier um, in a previous conversation you'd mentioned that Ramdas quote if you think you're enlightened um, go spend a week with your family and then if we think about what is you know what is the collective family right like the kind of humane the humanity family here that we're talking about like what what does you know whether we're dissociating from that family or whether you know it's kind of tearing us apart like what you know, what are we even talking about though, when we even talk about enlightenment? Hmm. Hmm. I don't really think that uh, enlightenment is a thing for me in this lifetime. Uh, I want to be more human. Um, I don't, I, I'm not trying to be an ascended master. I want to be in, in, in my body fully in my heart. I want to be in my field of sensation and feelings. Um, I want to be as 
good as I can, but not in the way of like what I'm supposed to be, right? My my favorite poem is is Mary Oliver's Wild Geese. It starts with you do not have to be good. Right. I but I do want like to rest in my own heart. And I want to know that like my heart is guiding my my path and and with with wisdom, right? Not just unchecked, not untethered, like like a, a heart, body, mind connection is leading me and is leading me into spaces and places where where I can be a in, in good relationship with myself and from that place of wholeness serve. And serve in a way that's bigger than the clients that come into my office, right? Like how, how do I apply my energy, my time and my skills towards creating like a world that is safer, that's more equitable, that is not defined by hierarchies and, and that does not tolerate such high level of injustice everywhere. Right. And, you know, I can't take it all on. I can take pieces on. And, and that's my responsibility to like take certain pieces on and like go. And for whatever it is that each one of us cares for and about that we should do the same. And, you know, for, for me, you know, my clinical roots are in the prison system too. And, you know, drug policy is something I care very, very much about. I used the word drugs earlier. And of course, drugs and medicine are synonymous if you look in a dictionary, but they have very different cultural connotations. And, you know, the the conversation around drug policy and the ways in which drugs have been legislated, it's like totally a, a war on people of color. And, you know, this is a, a conversation that, that like, I, I, I think it's my responsibility to, to talk about and to look at because, um, if, we, if I don't, if I just like operate in my clinical practice, it's like very um, capitalist and like, you know, white and, and I can do that. And I'm, you know, swimming in fields of like pain and trauma still, but like, it's different. Like we have, like, I, I want to kind of dismantle the hierarchies that have dis, that have disempowered even the ones that they seem to empower. Right. And like, you know, there's so much to- toxicity there. So this is not an exactly clear answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think that we need to be in good relationship with ourselves first and foremost. If you're in a good relationship with yourself, you're not going to pollute the beach. If you're in a good relationship with yourself, you're going to look for ways to be of service. Mm-hmm. That also reminds me um, in psychedelic uh, research, people have, or scientists have looked into the quote unquote mystical experience um, and which is funny that for scientists to kind of qualify what is mysticism, but one of the um, the basic tenets of it is this feeling of unity or oneness. And I think when the boundaries of the ego kind of break away or fall away rather, and you feel more of a empathetic connection to whether it's the environment or people around you or, you know, more connected to God or whatever it may be, that's really what the motivating thing is like acting as if or no, acting with the knowledge that we are one or that there is this oneness, whether or not we always feel that after the psychedelic has worn off. Um, you know, I think, you know, you know, maybe as part of like what we'll end on is what, you know, what does it look like to really embody a psychedelic life? And that doesn't mean taking the medicines all the time, but like, how can we really utilize the memory and the experience of the psychedelic to engender more of like a psychedelic flow state all around? Mm-hmm. 
again, psychedelics are about mindset in many ways and how flexible the mind can be and how expansive our experience as a human being can be, you know, this comment of like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Like my dad became a psychonaut at 75, 75. It's the first time. And, you know, he's flying and, and, and his flight looks like love and it looks like forgiveness and it looks like beauty to me. And I don't think it's ever too late for anyone. I think that a psychedelic life is is an honest and good life of exploration of of curiosity of inquiry of presence and play and and the ability to to feel whatever is that needs to be felt in this here now moment in order to be here now with the full faith that it will shift Right. And, and I think that a psychedelic life is, is connected. It's connected. It's connected to the earth. It's connected to, to every, every living being and entity on the planet. Right. Like it's an understanding that, that, that there is no discrete entities, that everything is, is dancing together and impacting each other. So, what we do matters and, 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 and we matter and what other people do matters. And, and, and ultimately at its foundation, there should be love and there should be kindness and there should be care for all living beings, self-included, like self-included, 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 because when we like tend to our vehicle and our vessel and our heart, body, mind, that's the contribution that we offer. So it's a lot of things, a psychedelic life, but it's a responsible one. It's an expansive one. It's a, it's a creative one. Uh, and it's a one that really uh, like kind of recognizes and appreciates the special spice that we each bring to this like soup. Mm, I like that. I was also thinking kind of, as you were describing it, um, you know, I've done my fair share of psychedelics, um, but really nothing has been as powerful and transformative as a regular yoga practice. You know, <laughs> like doing in the in the times of my life where I was doing yoga, you know, like four times a week, that was way more, um, had way more of an impact than times I've done, you know, even like five MEO DMT or something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think of it like what what is yoga, right? Like it's kind of this psychedelic state of the body. It It allows your body to do things that you'd never thought were possible the same way a psychedelic allows your mind to go in places that you just would never have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, yeah. And I think, I think like, you know, people can develop codependent and bypassy kind of relationships with psychedelics and the integration is what allows for a psychedelic life back to your question. And, and, and yoga totally is psychedelic. I remember I, my first yoga practice, I was, I was, I hated my body. I was in so much pain and I was bludgeoned and breathless at my own hands. And I stepped onto the mat and I started moving around and my body became like a foreign country and and a beautiful one. And when I was like, Ooh, I want to roam around these streets and get lost and sit in cafes and the weather felt good and the people were nice. And I was like, wow, I'm going to keep going back. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 ultimately taking residence in, in in this foreign land that's now my country, that's now my body and my home. And and then that you know committed practice because it's like, how are we living our lives? Yes, psychedelics, yes, LSD, yes, ayahuasca, yes, mushrooms, like yes, ketamine, yes, 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 in the right set and setting in a good way. But like then how do we live the uploads? How do we practice? Certainly, I mean, yoga is my my cornerstone. It's 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 my 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 vibe. It's my thing, and um, and prayer and meditation and honest conversation and nature and music, and all the other things to support me in living what I now know from these experiences as possible. And I would argue also that it you know also you know on a on the level of psychology and um, somaticism is really whether it's yoga or the memory of a really beautiful acid trip, it's kind of getting into the parasympathetic nervous system, getting into like a state of relaxation and repair that mm-hmm. enables us to then like function and serve without all the spilkes that hold us back and keep us from from not being our optimal selves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about or add or, you know, what gets you into flow state or mm-hmm. all of that? I mean, I, you know, just... The experience itself isn't enough. Going to therapy isn't enough, right? It's like, what are we dedicated and devoted to? How do we show up for that every day? That That's really where the magic starts to come, like with committed practice. And, you know, I like to say you can't stay clean on yesterday's shower. It's a, it's a practice, not a perfect. You don't, need to, you don't need to ace it. But like, keep showing up for yourself. And in doing so in a good way, know that you're showing up for the world and know that you're showing up for your family and knowing you're showing up for the community and, and the, it matters. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to, to share this. I hope it's been useful and valuable. It's always so fun to connect with you, Madison. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much. And also, let so let us know how people can find your work, follow you, get in touch. Sure. So my websites are inbodiedlife.com. It's I N go in. The only way out is in and through inbodiedlife.com. And my other website is uh, psychedelic coalition for health.com. You can find me on Instagram at lauren.taus, T A U S. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Lauren, and have a beautiful weekend and uh, rest of your day. Thank you, Madison. So good. 